dying and ain't much of a living, boy. Don't get dramatic now, all right? Bring out your dates! By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Now, this week, it's a very special episode of Storytime. Yeah, it's another one of those, guys. We're going to talk serious stuff this week. Every once in a while, I like to bring in the serious topics, and I don't think there's anything more serious than death. Dying is part of living, and we all deal with it at some point. The thing I've discovered in this country, and the thing I discovered in my own family, is that nobody likes to talk about death. It's a scary thing. It totally is. Because we don't know what's going to happen. And a lot of times people don't like to talk about stuff they don't understand. Death is top of the list. We don't get it. Now, before I get too far into it, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about death was the fact that I have dealt with it. Both of my parents died several years ago, and I also lost my cool cousin Steve several years ago as well. And one of the hard parts about death is the loss, and we worry about the loss of somebody we care about. And it's very difficult to deal with. And we're always trying to deal with our grief and how to handle this kind of thing. There's a quote to give you some perspective on where I'm coming from. It's from Terry Pratchett. If you haven't read any of Terry Pratchett's work, it's very good stuff. It's science fiction-y, fantasy. If you've seen the show Good Omens on Amazon, he wrote that with Neil Gaiman. A very insightful and intelligent fellow. And one of the quotes from one of his books is, Death isn't cruel, merely terribly, terribly good at his job. And that's the truth. We're all going to die. I know we don't like to admit that, but death has a 100% success rate. One of the few things in the world that does, death is 100% effective. Now, I know there's the religious aspect of the resurrection, and I don't know how you want to count that. But for us mere mortals, death has a perfect record. And we can change that. That's just the facts. We can change that. So the reason that I wanted to talk about death today is because I've discovered that when you actually talk about these hard topics, it makes it easier to deal with. Let's start here. Once the person who dies is gone, they're gone. They're not feeling anything anymore. The ones who feel the death are those of us left behind. We feel the loss of that person. And that's why death hurts so much. Now, yes, when we die, when I die, when you die, when each of us dies, it's going to be a unique circumstance. We don't know what it's going to feel like. We have no way to determine what it feels like, what happens after it happens, if there is an afterlife, if there's a heaven or hell. We have no way of knowing that. And I'm not talking about this from a perspective of, yes, there's a heaven, yes, there's a hell, yes, there's an afterlife, there's this, there's that, you're going to be reincarnated. You can have your belief about what happens after we die. That's all very personal. It can be your cultural thing. It can be your religious thing. But all we know for certain is that when we die, we are no longer here in this form on this mortal plane. And that's just a fact. You don't get cloned. You don't assume a robot body, at least not yet. Your consciousness no longer exists here. And it's just the way it is. Your memory lives on. And the residuals of the good or the bad you've done in this world also live on. And really, as I'll get to later, if your memory lives on, are you truly dead? Yes, your physical being isn't here anymore. But the good things you've done, the people you've affected, either good or bad, they live on. And the things you've done for them or to them live on as well. 
As I mentioned, I dealt with the death of both of my parents. My cousin Steve, I lost, and I didn't even realize that it had happened. I got an email from his brother, my cool cousin Jeff, and he told me about what had happened. And it was a stupid, stupid, senseless, makes no sense, how could this happen kind of situation where he died. And I felt the loss. And it goes through your head, how could this happen? Why does this happen? It's perfectly natural to feel that. And the thing is, there's really no explanation. There really isn't except that it's a natural part of life. Sometimes it happens in unnatural situations. Sometimes it happens too soon. Sometimes it happens for the dumbest of reasons. But it happens. And we're entitled to be angry about it. We're entitled to be sad about it. We're entitled to grieve about it. It's how we do that and how we get over it that's important. As I said, I lost both my parents. I'm going to talk about my dad's passing and see even saying it as a passing. That's kind of what we do. Instead of saying, my dad's dead, my dad died, we say, my dad passed on. And that's kind of a euphemism when you think about it. My dad passed on, which suggests that he's gone to a different place. And that may very well be. I hope that he is in a better place. But I don't know, and I'll never know, until, if that place exists, I get there. But we say passed on because it's easier for us to process the possibility that our loved one is someplace else instead of just dead. And it allows us to continue to believe that we may hook up again somewhere down the road. And again, I'm not discounting the possibility. I don't know. And I'll never know, at least on this plane. But I'm going to talk about my dad's passing in another episode of the podcast. There was a lot going on with that one. So today we'll talk about my mom. My mom died in August of 2008. And since I'm recording this in August, it's a little fresh in my mind because August rolls around and I realize, oh yeah, this is the month mom died. So it comes back to me. And you always remember, it's your mom for God's sakes. Of course you're going to remember when your mom passes. My mom passed about two years, actually a little less than two years after my dad died. And I know, even though no doctor diagnosed it this way, I know that she died of a broken heart. Yeah, physically she had some issues that occurred. But after my dad died, she was never the same. The light from her life had gone out. And as much as I could, I tried to reinvigorate that light. I tried to reignite it. I tried to give her things to look forward to because I knew she was feeling the loss. I pointed to her kids and her grandkids and the options that still lay in front of her and the opportunities that lay before her and the things that she could still do and the things she could do to remember and honor my dad in the hopes that it would encourage her to keep on living. And it was a very difficult process, but... She just kind of gave up on life. People do that sometimes. Part of the problem was, as a Christian scientist, and although she didn't say it to me, I got the sense that she felt her religion had failed her. She truly believed in Christian science and that it would heal everything and take care of all of her problems. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And when she saw that it wasn't healing my dad, and this will be something I talk about later, but when she saw that it wasn't healing my dad who had gotten ill, she kind of allowed me to get him to a hospital and have the doctors take over treatment. So she was disappointed in Christian science because it hadn't worked the way she wanted it to. I think she was a little disappointed in me for talking her into letting me take my dad to a hospital. And I think she was very disappointed in the hospitals because they didn't fix him either. So I think that she just gave up on everything that she believed in. And even though she had three kids and they had kids, and there were grandkids to take care of, and ultimately great-grandchildren were going to come around, 
it wasn't enough for her because her soulmate, the light of her life, was no longer with her. And when your entire life is focused on one person, when your significant other is the focus of what you do every day, and that's the way it was with my parents for almost 50 years, I think it just became too much of a burden for my mom to go on on her own. During the last year of her life, I remember moving closer to her to help her through this. And I would visit with her almost every day to make sure that she was eating. I mean, simple things like eating were off the table for her. She just didn't remember to eat or didn't want to eat. So I would make sure that she was eating. She wasn't getting her bills paid, so I was making sure the bills were being paid. She stopped driving. She didn't feel she could drive anymore or just didn't want to drive anymore. But she still liked getting out of the house. So I would stop by and drive her around a little bit. And I remember a couple of those last trips that we took together. And I remember it was in April and the spring was upon us and the flowers were blooming and the trees were coming into greenery again. And that's one of the last memories of us driving around and having a nice afternoon together. But I was trying to give her the will to keep going. And I think she liked those moments. She always seemed to enjoy going out. She always enjoyed talking and looking at the flowers and looking at the trees. But it ultimately wasn't enough. When June came around, she wasn't really getting out of bed anymore. And so I was faced again with a dilemma that I'd had with my dad. My mom did not want to go to the doctor. She made that clear to me. She said that she was not convinced that the doctors would help her because they hadn't helped my dad. As I've explained before, my dad got really big by the time he died. When he first took ill in 2006, he was over 400 pounds. He had eaten his way into, well, a person who was not in the best of health or the best of shape. So it was an uphill battle for the doctors when they finally got to him. But I'll save that for another time. But trying to explain that to my mom was a difficult thing. Trying to get mom to go to the doctor because she was in much better shape physically. Mentally, not so much. But physically, she was in much better shape. And I said, if you let the doctors check you out, maybe they can help you. And she wasn't having any of that. But she also didn't want to work with a Christian science practitioner. And she didn't want to go to the Christian science nursing home. There are facilities where instead of getting medical care, you get prayerful care and basic personal care, like hygiene and cleaning and feeding and that sort of thing. My mom wasn't taking care of herself, and I needed to have somebody to take care of her because I couldn't do it. I was working at the time, and I couldn't stop working. And she wouldn't allow a visiting nurse in the house, and she wouldn't go to a hospital, and she didn't want to go to a Christian science nursing home. But I also couldn't just let her lay there in bed and waste away and die in her bed because she simply refused to take care of herself. Because that's what it really boiled down to. She just decided to stop doing what it took to live. What do you do in that situation? What do you do? I was on the phone with the practitioner who had been working with my dad and who was very good friends with my mom. And I contacted the closest Christian Science nursing home that I could and explained the situation. And both the practitioner and the nursing home agreed that if we could get her to the nursing home, that would be the best alternative. Because they would take care of her and they would pray for her and they would feed her and clean her and make sure she was taking care of herself. But when I say she didn't eat, she didn't eat. I couldn't force feed her. I couldn't hook her up to an IV to give her nutrition. That was completely off the table. And there came a time where she was just barely responsive to what was going on. So we finally made the call to get her to the nursing home. Now, this is going to sound weird, and it's going to sound funny, and it's okay to laugh, because funny things happen even in the most dire of circumstances. When people are dying, life goes on, and silly stuff still happens. So we finally had the go-ahead to get my mom to 
the nursing home, from the nursing home, from the practitioner, and mom finally relented. She finally said, okay, whatever. But then the problem reared its head. How are we going to get her there? Because she didn't want to go in an ambulance, and it was a good hour's drive away, but she wasn't able to walk down from the house to the car. So I had to figure out how to get her to the car. Now, this is before Mrs. Gamerdude became Mrs. Gamerdude. We were dating at the time, but I told her what the situation was, and she dropped everything at her work. She called out. She said, I have to leave. There's a family emergency. And she met me at my mom's house. By the way, that was when I knew that this woman was a keeper. We weren't married at the time. We were just dating at the time, and she dropped everything, not for me, but to help my mom. Right there, boom, I knew it. Don't let this woman go. But she met me at my mom's house. And we put our heads together, and we, we didn't have a mobile bed. We didn't have a stretcher. What we had was a rolling desk chair. Yes, you know, those chairs that you have in an office with wheels on the bottom? We had a rolling desk chair. So between the two of us, we got my mom out of bed, and we situated her on the rolling desk chair right next to the bed. Now, this rolling desk chair didn't have arms. It was just a chair on wheels. And so between the two of us... We had to roll her from the bedroom down the hall out to the front door. Now, the front porch of the house where my mom lived had two big steps before we got to the little pathway that led up to the door. The pathway, by the way, not paved. It was slate. So it was a piece of slate, then a little piece of ground, then another piece of slate, then a piece of ground. So it was not a smooth path at all. We believed that we could wheel the chair down the path. We weren't sure, but we believed it. But getting her down those steps... We were scratching our heads for a few minutes as we're trying to keep my mom from, from toppling off the chair. And I look back and I laugh a little bit because, you know, looking back, it's okay. We have this lady on a rolling chair on the edge of a porch and we're trying to get her down the steps. It's almost something you'd write in a sitcom. And looking back, I can laugh. At the time, at the time, you're out of your mind with panic. Like, how are we going to do this? But looking back at the ridiculousness of the situation... Two people trying to lift a lady down the stairs on a rolling desk chair. Yes, it was as silly as it sounds. But we managed to do it. Desperation gives you all kinds of strength and ingenuity that you didn't think you had. We were able to lift that desk chair between the two of us, get her down the steps, and then very carefully and very bumpily roll her down the path to the top of the driveway. The traversing of the front steps made the transition from the chair into the car so much easier. That was a piece of cake. It wasn't, but comparatively speaking, certainly was. So we got her in the car, and uh, Mrs. Gamer Dude hopped in the back with her just to make sure she was okay, and I drove us to the nursing home. And they were so kind there. My brother met us there. We got her situated, and they took really, really good care of her. They made sure she was fed. They prayed for her. They made sure that she cleaned up and got dressed, and they had a beautiful facility for her. And I went and visited her, brought the kids to her. She got her strength back for a while. But not for long, because she'd given up. That's the only explanation that I have. She'd just given up. She got her strength back. She was eating. But in her mind, I believe, she didn't believe that she had enough of a reason to keep going, not without my dad. So it was the beginning of August, and I finally got a call. I had just seen her two days before, and it was the nursing home, and they said, we really think you should get up here. Now, she'd been fine when I'd seen her, but these things happen. They happen. People take a turn. For whatever reason. We didn't have a medical doctor on the scene because she didn't want that. 
No, I got the call. I happened to be at work at the time, but I was in the middle of something that I literally had to finish up as quickly as I could, and the home was an hour away. I was on the road within 15 minutes, but by the time I got there, she'd already died. And I guess that's one of the regrets that I have is that I wasn't there at the moment, although I'm not sure what difference it would have made, because I'd done everything that I could do. And I'd put her care in the hands of the best possible people that I could get her to agree to care for her. But in the end, it just wasn't enough. And you do find yourself wondering, is there anything else I could have done? And you go over it in your head and you think and you beat yourself up a little bit. Did I do this quick enough? If I'd only done that, what else could I have done? And you find yourself wondering these things. When the reality is there's nothing more that you could have done. We wound up having her cremated because we had had my dad cremated and we got a special, not quite an urn, it's actually a marble box that was designed by a company that was big enough for both of their remains. And so my mom and dad's ashes are both in the same box and we had etchings and inscriptions put on it as a tribute to them. That's one of the weird things about death in this country too, the rituals that we have. My parents didn't have a cemetery plot. They didn't ever talk to us kids about what they wanted to have done, how they wanted to be handled after they passed. So we were all kind of flying blind. What are we going to do? What do you do? Now, I've been to funerals before. I've been to viewings before. I've been to wakes before. Every culture, heck, every part of the country has different rituals. I mean, down in New Orleans, they have that jazz funeral where the body is in a casket and then they have a small procession down the streets and the jazz musicians play kind of dirge-like music for a while to show their mourning and grieving for the passage of their loved one. But then after the burial, the jazz band springs to life and starts playing upbeat music as a celebration of the life of the person who's gone. Which I kind of like that idea. I like celebrating the life of the person who's gone. Sure, the fact that their physical being is not here anymore, but their spirit and their memory does live on, as well as the residuals of everything they've done. And celebrating that person is a good thing. It keeps a good memory in our minds and in our hearts. So I think it's important to remember the person, and in a positive way. We sanitize death a lot in this country. We keep it very mysterious. The body disappears into a funeral home, and we put them in a nice suit or a nice dress, and we only look at them in the setting of a funeral home, and then we close the casket and we bury it underground, and we don't talk about it, we don't tell our kids about it, we don't explain it to the kids or the teenagers or even other family members. We don't really talk about it, and it makes it scarier. I don't know that that's the right way to handle death. Death is a part of life. As I said at the beginning, we're all going to die. And maybe talking about it and maybe sharing how we want to handle it is as important as anything else we do in life. And it makes it easier for our loved ones to know how to handle it once we're gone. Some cultures have different rituals. I mean, take a look at the Vikings. If you remember the scene from Star Wars, I know I got a Star Wars reference into an episode on death. If you remember the scene from Star Wars where they have Darth Vader on the funeral pyre, that's a Viking ritual. That really is. Because the Vikings would put the dead loved one on a boat, set it out into the lake, and set it afire. There was a lot of other creepy stuff that went along with that too, but we can talk about that later. The point is they had a funeral ritual that was more of a celebration of the passage of the loved one into the afterlife. Native Americans do the same thing. They have different kinds of rituals to kind of celebrate and commemorate the life of their loved one. 
I think the Buddhists in Tibet have a great way of handling it too. It's a little gross to us here in the United States, but there's a lot of sense to this. The Buddhists believe that once the person has died, their soul has already transmigrated out of the body. It's gone. It's where it's supposed to be. And the body is just an empty vessel. It's just a shell. It's just a husk. And so they do what's called a sky burial. It's going to sound creepy, but it kind of makes sense. The body is cut up into little pieces and placed in an exposed area where animals and the elements can consume it. It's actually considered an act of generosity because it allows the living creatures to benefit from the empty shell that's no longer needed. The soul is gone. The shell is no use to anybody anymore. So let the living benefit from it. It kind of makes sense. Because the one thing that we do know is there's nothing left in the body once the person is gone. It's just a non-functioning hunk of flesh. Me personally, I've thought about it. As you get older, you tend to think about, well, what's going to happen when I die? I don't want to be a burden to the family. I don't want anybody worrying about me. Now, I'm not saying wrap me up in a contractor bag and leave me by the curb. That's probably a little less fancy than I would want. Although, you know what? If my body is just a husk, what the hell difference does it make when it comes right down to it? But I have looked at a couple of things. There's a town in Colorado called Crestone. It's one of the only outdoor cremation sites in the United States. And what happens is they wrap the body in cloth and they surround it with wood, kind of like the Viking funeral. And then they cremate you out in the open. Kind of a cool celebration out in the hills of Colorado. That has a certain appeal to it. Not that I'm going to be there to enjoy it, but maybe you guys will. But the one that appeals to me right now is a company called Eternal Reefs. And what happens is they take your cremated remains and they create a reef ball. You know, like the reef off the coast where the fish live. And then they take your reef ball and make it a permanent part of a reef where fish continue to live and thrive and exist. And they tell your family the location of the reef that you're a part of, and your family can go visit where the reef is. Now, since I love the ocean so much, it seems like a perfect solution. And it gives my family a chance to have a beach vacation when they come say hi. I know it sounds a little flippant when I say that, but you know what? I won't be there. I realize that. Yeah, it's scary that I won't be there. Yeah, I'm worried about, well, what would happen once I'm gone? There's nothing I can do about it. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. That much I've come to grips with. Once I'm gone, you guys can do whatever the hell you want with me. And life will go on. That's probably the scariest part about death for all of us. Life goes on after we're gone. It just does. When I die, you guys are going to keep on. I wish you the best. I wish you luck. But I recognize the fact that there will be a time when I'm not here and you are. And I wish you the best. And I hope you remember me. And that brings me to the last quote that I wanted to give you before we close up today. It's Terry Pratchett again. As I said, smart guy. This is one of the quotes from one of the Discworld books. No one is actually dead until the ripples they cause in the world die away. My hope is that no matter what happens to me, my ripples will continue for a long time. Well, I hope this episode gave you something to think about, something to talk about, something to consider. Death, my friends, is a part of life. And how we handle death is just as important as how we handle life. And yes, that's a paraphrase of another quote from Star Trek. I have them from everywhere. I don't obsess about death. I'm just aware of it. And as you guys get older, you'll become aware of it too. Just don't become obsessed about it and don't worry about it because we can't change it. It's just what happens. 
So talking about it and being comfortable about it and not worrying about it is probably the healthiest thing we can do for ourselves. That, my friends, is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was helpful, and I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for taking the time to listen. I always appreciate your support. I always appreciate your time. And I always appreciate you. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.